Happy Monday, friends, and welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. I got a heck of a conversation to share with you today. We actually did this one live for anyone anyone who happened to catch it. I did this one live on the YouTube channel, so I do want to encourage you to follow the Mark Claire Show on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button, ring the notification bell, all that stuff you're supposed to do so you don't miss when I do these live. Of course, patrons, Mark Claire Show premium subscribers, they get access to the full version of this episode, which includes the smoke-filled room in today's smoke-filled room with my guest, we dive deeper into the conversation we had today and we dig into some of the connections between the cult we're going to discuss today and the Q movement. Very interesting stuff. You get that entire show by becoming a Mark Claire Show premium subscriber. You have many methods for doing so, including a brand new one, Apple Podcasts. Now, if you listen through Apple Podcasts, it's as simple as just pressing a button. You can subscribe to the Mark Claire Show premium content and it will show up there right for you in your Apple feed just like that. So a very simple way for you to subscribe. Of course, you got Patreon, Subscribestar, all those methods that you can find over at markclair.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. My friends, don't forget, we have a fantastic sponsor for the show. He's so fantastic. He's the fantastic Mr. Fox, Stephen Fox and his company, Fox and Sons. Do not forget to get yourself a little discounted coffee on me. I just locked in, Stephen, for the whole year and you get a discount here that you're not going to get. I mean this. You're not going to find this discount on any other podcast, all right? 18% off is the MCS discount because I've locked Steven in for this entire year. You just got to use discount code MCS over at foxandsons.com. That's discount code MCS over at foxandsons.com. Grab yourself a bag or two of coffee. It's going to be free shipping on any order over $37.99. You got to check it out over at foxandsons. foxandsons.com, discount code MCS. Enjoy today's conversation with Michael Grayman. Welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. We are live once again here on a Friday night. With me today is the man behind the uh, Unmasking the Phenomenon project, which you can find right now, at least on Substack, as well as X. I don't call it that. It's Twitter. All right. I am pleased to be joined by Michael Grayman. Michael, welcome to the Mark Claire Show. Mark, thanks for having me on. Sure thing. And uh, you know, before we get into the subject that I brought you on to talk about, it, that's actually the most recent topic that you wrote about the Mother God cult, uh, a UFO cult that has a, a lot behind it that we're going to dig into. I just want to get to know a little bit about this Unmasking the Phenomenon project. Why did you decide to put this together? And, and kind of what are, you, what are you trying to lay out here for people that other, other people in what you might call the UFO space aren't exactly hitting on? Right. So I started Unmasking the Phenomenon. Um, it took me a while to actually launch the project. I sat around thinking about whether or not it was worth it to do it for months and months and months. You know, I like commissioned the artwork for my logo and everything, I think probably back in like August and just was like, could never bring myself to do it. But the reason I started doing it was because I, well, I'm interested in UFOs, but it seems like everyone else is slowly becoming interested in UFOs as well. Um, it's no longer this little bizarre um conspiracy theory about Area 51 and Roswell. It's now, you know, topics of congressional discussion. Um, you know, naval pilots are going on the Lex Friedman show and Joe Rogan to talk about it. Bob Lazar's come out and started talking about it again. Um, you know, he's been quiet for roughly 30 years. It, it's just something that everyone's talking about now. And because no one has any background uh, as far as reading or researching the subject, everyone is just kind of operating on the understanding that has been formulated for them over the last, you know, 50 years of Hollywood movies and um, whatever little bit of news trickles out or what the mainstream media is 
comfortable sharing with you or wants you to believe. And so I was like, I should probably start writing about UFOs. Um, it's far more interesting to discuss and read about than, you know, what I do with, for, for work. And so I decided to try to explain um, to my readers, followers, whatever you want to call them, um, all 200 of them, how dangerous the phenomenon is. Because right now, there's there's kind of two perspectives that's going around. Um, it's either this is a national security threat or, you know, our galactic brotherhood, um, extraterrestrial friends from pick whatever galaxy you want are here to save us. And this mean evil cabal is preventing us from making contact with them. And unfortunately, neither of them are accurate at all. And so I was like, all right, I'll start this project. I'll start writing about it. I'll start, you know, kind of covering topics. I hate the word journalism, but as a journalist, um, and try to give people, you know, the the unorthodox perspective of what the UFO phenomenon is. Um, and that's kind of why I started it. Yeah, I mean, it is such a tricky topic to approach because as you laid out, uh, even you and I, even people that grew up sort of informed informed in some vague sense about the phenomenon, um, reading about it, writing about it, that sort of thing, uh, even all of our sort of background beliefs in some way, whether we can help it or not, are shaped by things we've seen in the media, things we've seen in the movies. And uh, it was only sort of as, as an adult that I started to really set into me how much of my own interest in the UFO phenomenon was not organic necessarily. It was not because the government was hiding me it from me and I, I stumbled upon a secret document somewhere and started investigating it like I'm Fox Mulder here. Uh, it was it was really that because they had propagandized me to be interested in UFOs. Uh, so it's this interesting thing to me that I am fascinated by the topic, but I'm much more trepidatious even about my own fascination with it because I've come to realize like I'm sort of supposed to be in an odd way fascinated by it. Yeah, and they definitely know that people are fascinated in it. And the, I mean, the bizarre thing, and people don't realize this, is you know everything you probably know about the UFO phenomenon is either based on government documents that were supposedly leaked, or it it's a Disney movie, or a Lucas Films uh, movie, or Spielberg, or something like that. Everything that we think we know about the UFO phenomenon is basically just kind of the generic extraterrestrial um, hypothesis. And that's what I've noticed, you know, because I keep having people, now that this is a popular topic of discussion, people keep calling me and texting me and they're like, you know, what is going on with the UFO phenomenon? What do you think it is? So you're known uh, as like aliens? the UFO guy in your, in your group of friends, I, I imagine? Some of them know. I don't tell a ton of people just because, I mean, sure, you can talk about UFOs um, publicly now if you're a congressional member or someone from the Naval Intelligence Office or whatever. But you can only talk about it from the acceptable parameters. You know what I mean? You can you can talk about the UFO disclosure movement, but you can't talk about, you know, are these things harvesting souls? Are I mean, even the interdimensional, like that idea of an interdimensional... You might even say there's like a three-by-five card of allowable opinion to quote the great Tom Woods. Uh, you could just say in that. Just in the UFO area as well. Absolutely. And so it's it's hard to to try to talk to people about these subjects. And like I said, no one really knows what, what it is. It's just Area 51. It's Roswell. Maybe people know about Bob Lazar um, if they watch the documentary that came out in 2017 or 2018, whatever it was, um, by Jeremy Corbell. 
But by and large, no one has any idea what these things are, what has been written about them, who's been looking at it, who can be trusted. And I mean, like we've talked about this earlier, it's, it's psyops on top of psyops on top of psyops. It's not meant to be this simple thing uh, where, you know, someone has the answers. You might have some answers, but you don't know how, um, you know, if information that's coming out is going to affect those answers or how those things can make your answers feel unsteady or uneasy. You know, it's, it's just a difficult uh, topic or field to explore. And because most people don't have time or they choose to use their time arguably better than me, you know, they go hang out with their family members and their friends. They do better things with their lives instead of sitting around reading UFO books all day. Um, I figured I would put some of that information that it's I... It's better than reading you know, libertarian books, trust me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't used do to, that I used anymore. to read those, so... I can't remember the last time I picked up um, like a generic libertarian like Rothbard. You know, once or, you've uh, read Mises one or two, book. you've kind of read them all. Well, you can read Mises and then you can skip Rothbard. People are going to shoot me for this. You can read Mises and you can skip Rothbard and then you can go straight to Hoppe and then you're good. Um, you know, for forget human action. I want to read alien action. You know, what? how do the aliens interact in the marketplace? But um, you what, know, is, it, what it, does it is human action? What does human action <laughs> have that? to say about aliens? Have the aliens that- read Rothbard? And if they did read Rothbard, would they understand our way of thinking? Yeah, do, do the same economic principles apply? That 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 remains to be seen. But you know, it is it is a really tricky topic, like you mentioned, because despite what we talked about here in the last few minutes, that it is our opinions on it and our thoughts about it are so molded by propaganda and by government leaks, quote unquote, and, and whatnot. Uh, at the same time, on the other side of that there certainly is some sort of real phenomenon that people do experience. So that, so it's not, if it was just all made up, it would be a lot easier to just say, this is all propaganda. Well, it is all propaganda, but there's something real behind the propaganda as well. So that's, that's what makes us, I mean, I think this is kind of maybe in some way sums up the, the sort of minefield you have to navigate in your own approach to the subject. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like I, I still have people ask me, you know, like, how do you know that, ufos or the ufo phenomenon is real and i'm like i thought we were past that um at this point it doesn't matter if you think it's real or not the government wants you to think it's real um but yeah like you said it's it's not the phenomenon itself is real whether what the government is telling you about it is should be trusted or has any semblance of truth is a completely different matter and that's why people don't understand because they don't they don't read the case studies they're not looking at the massive amount of you know, UFO contactee stories, and they're not looking at the people who are telling these stories or even talking to people themselves. I mean, uh, you know, when I talked to Diana Walsh Pasoka, name drop, uh, a year ago or whatever, she told me, like, you have to do field research to really get at whatever is going on. Because if you don't talk to people, you know, in person or hear actual stories, and all you're doing is reading case studies that you find in books, you're not going to know anything because you have no idea what is and isn't real and you're not going to be able to want to trust anything and so you have to you have to meet people and talk to people and that's i mean like i know people that have seen ufos i know people who have had encounters with um beings you know and and it's it's definitely not this weird bizarre thing that the government's talking about and is trying to trick people into believing is real uh they might want you to believe a a, a certain perspective and a certain uh theory about what this is but the thing itself is happening people are seeing it people you know that you wouldn't expect to see um you know for some of your followers who have read the book the ufo deception by father spirit and bailey Mm -hmm. you know he opens that book with a story about how his wife saw a ufo 
in, I don't know, it was 1970s or 1980s England. You know, why would a priest tell you that story before he tells you that the UFO deception is a deception? It, it doesn't really I, add I, up. I, when I read that book, I remember that's exactly what what drew me into it so quickly because I pick up this book called The UFO Deception. I'm expecting it. I'm just expecting it to to say this is all nonsense. They're they're making it all up. And that and the, and basically he spends the whole book basically confirming how real it is. I mean, it's like he really yep. he really leads you on and doesn't really re- do the big reveal. I mean, you kind of know where he's going with it. Um, he's right. orthodox and everything, so you kind of have an idea. But he does really. Make it clear, like this is real, this is happening, and then then kind of lays out what the deception is. So I, I really do highly recommend that book. I think it's a it's a must read for anyone who's uh who's following this stuff. And also the same same thing could be said with um, Father Seraphim Rose's Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. He does the same thing with the his cha- I think his chapter five is on UFOs or signs from heaven or whatever he calls it. Um, the entire chapter is like there's clearly something to what these people are talking about and what people are seeing. Because it's not just the government that's talking about it. It's not like they're aware of Roswell and they know I have all the information. It's like these things are contacting people, um, you know, across the world. And that's the you hear people talk about this all the time. Like, why are all the UFO sightings in uh, the United States? They're in the Western world. Could there be a bigger sign that this is stupid and people are lying and they're believing what the media is telling them? That's not true. Um, nor has it really ever been true. It doesn't matter what country or continent you're looking at there's constantly sightings of things we might be the only people who refer to them as ufos i think that's obviously going to gradually change as as american culture and um you know modernity encapsulates the entire world people are going to refer to things the same way um you know globalism and everything but it's not it's not a confined phenomenon to just the united states most of the early cases involving ufos were uh, over Sweden and in France and in places that, that people rarely talk about. Um, and it's the Soviet Union had their own, you know, field of ufologists and, and interpretations of it. And it all, everyone's culture is going to have kind of a say on what these things are. But as culture is homogenized, we're starting to get just one particular theory, which is the the top-down official theory that, you know, these things are extraterrestrials or their interdimensional beings as David Grush and um, some of the congressional members like to use that word now. Well, Michael, you mentioned that, uh, you know, one thing you mentioned is that this phenomenon is dangerous. It does harm people. So that that is, I think, something we are going to look at today. We're going to be diving specifically into uh, this they call it a cult. We can talk about that a little bit too. I have my my own thoughts on that. I don't know. It to me, it it doesn't seem to fit the definition of a classic cult, but it certainly has some characteristics. So we can we can break that down. But uh, it is a documentary that was recently released on Max called "Love Has Won: The Cult of Mother God," and you did write an article on Substack about this and and over on X, uh, breaking it all down. But someone, I think maybe the a good place to start might be with someone you just mentioned, Sarah from Rose, and what he said about Mount Shasta, because Mount Shasta has a big connection to this particular story as well. Yeah, and that's kind of why I chose it as my jump-off point for my article. I wanted to kind of give a nod to... I wanted to find a way to talk about John Keel, which he comes in at the end of the article, but I also want to talk about Sarah from Rose, which is kind of the basis for how I understand these things. Um, and so, yeah, when 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 uh, Father Sarah from Rose wrote uh, Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future in 1975, it... Um, I don't know how many copies he was printing, but it sold out like wildfire. And so during his third printing, he went uh, to Oregon to pick up his box, his shipment and his, uh, you know, 
truck that frequently broke down. And he stopped at Mount Shasta, which is somewhere that he was familiar with, um, at least probably in the know about. It was a, I say was, is is a kind of a weird occult neo-pagan hotspot um, for, you know, weird, open-minded, esoteric-minded Western people. But it's also like a, it's like a, a sacred location for like several Native American tribes. And so on the way back, he, you know, he decided to pull over um, and kind of, you know, sing Paschal Chants. It was right after uh, Pascha, and that's Easter for Western Christians. And uh, he decided to go back after he became a priest and blessed the mountain. But so Mount Shasta is, I mean, it's kind of an epicenter for occult neo-pagan activities, as I said. But it's also, um, it was like the first place that uh, Love is One really kind of like kicked off. Love is One technically was founded and started in Crestone, Colorado, which if anyone knows anything about Crestone, Colorado or the San Luis Valley of Colorado, it's um, it's definitely a bizarre place. I think it's it's in the top three of the, 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 the area in the United States or the world, I can't remember, that has like the most UFO sightings uh, every year. So it's definitely one of those weird little you know, locations. Um, it's also ground zero for, um, horse and cattle mutilations. Like the first very well-known mm. horse mutilation case came out of the San Luis Valley, like 35 minutes, 45 minutes from where, uh, Amy Carlson, who is the leader of, um, love is one started her, um, her cult. Uh, but yeah, so snippy, the horse is, it was named after it died. It's the horse's real name was lady. Um, that's like the first place for cattle mutilations and horse mutilations. Uh, Tucker Carlson has actually done. And so so it was Lynn Lady and then after it was found mutilated, they changed his name to Snippy? <laughs> they changed his name to Snippy, yeah. And there's actually a UFO what a, watchtower. What a, like an insult in, to injury. I mean, you get mutilated and then your name gets changed to Snippy. It yeah, more, it's, uh, it's a bummer. It's I'm sure <laughs> Snippy, who knows how Snippy feels about it, but it, the, the horse uh, skeleton is actually on display at, um, it's called the UFO watchtower. It's somewhere in the San Luis Valley. I don't think it's in Creston. I think it's in Alamosa or something like that. But yeah, it's, it's just this very bizarre area. So before or after um, Mother Mother God, Amy Carlson, decides to leave that area, she's kind of got like a small group of followers. I think there's maybe three of them. And they go to Mount Shasta and that's kind of where they begin their, we'll call it online ministry. They do a lot of live streaming and writing and talking and she's hanging out with her cadre of followers and they're all um well at least she's smoking pot and drinking a ton of alcohol uh they're they're doing mushrooms they're probably doing acid and they're you know they're talking and preaching love to the to the world via the the youtubes but they're also you know in contact with spirits or whatever and so that's all happening in mount shasta for a little while they end up leaving and going to oregon at some point um, where they burned down a house by accident. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Mount Shasta is kind of like a weird, I guess it shouldn't be that weird that that's where they ended up starting off kind of like actively working out, um, the cult, but that's kind of like a, um, an interesting spot. A little bit of a, a side tangent here, but do you have any thoughts of your own on why certain places such as Mount Shasta, not they don't just have like it's not just that a bunch of hippies happen to go there. I mean, there's like you mentioned a sort of a, a deep history of 
what you might call high strangeness in that area, including, like you said, horse cattle mutilations. Do you think that there's, obviously it's gotta be more than a coincidence that all sorts of strange stuff happens in, in certain places like that, but do you have thoughts on, on why that may be? Uh, I mean, you raise a good point, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially the whole concept of location. And I'm sure you have some theories of your own being that you lived in California, right? Yes, I did. So, yeah, so you, you have your own ideas about how strange locations can be. Um, Mount Shasta being a, a former like Native American um, spiritual site. I mean, who knows what kind of... I've not done a whole lot of deep diving on on the historical... Um, record of Mount Shasta, but I would be interested to know what kind of ceremonies have taken place there over the years. Um, pagan ones for certain. Uh, I mean, you know, like, I, you know, I, you never know how how far back those areas go. I mean, were there human sacrifices? Who knows? I don't know. Right. Um, I guess it's but a, it does make somewhat me, of a chicken, chicken egg thing too, because it does make you think, you know, is were ancient ceremonies or even, you know, modern day ceremonies, do they take place in a place like that because of spiritual activity that's going on there? Or is there spiritual activity going on there because there's been a bunch of, you know, ceremonies and whatnot there? Yeah, well, the mountains are always kind of considered the the meeting places, the points where, you know, the material world and the gods commune, whether that's, uh, you know, Moses at Mount Sinai or the Greeks at Mount Olympus, you know, the mountain itself is just kind of a, an interesting thing. But like you said, when you're talking about locations, I mean, think about San Francisco and the things that have come out of San Francisco uh, in the last hundred years. And, you know, people think hippies, 60s, but before the hippies in the 60s, you know, you've got basically all of the scientists that are working on the atomic program are coming out of there. The internet is kind of a, a birth out of the Silicon Valley, San Francisco area. Um, artificial intelligence. It's it's not really a surprise that they're all coming from those locations. Mm. You know, why it starts there is hard to say um, because we don't really know the deep history of these locations. And even if we did, it, you wouldn't be able to definitively put your finger on some of these things. Before we uh, you know dive deeper into where things went with this this group, with this cult, I want to go to sort of the beginning of Amy Carlson's story because she has said that um, her this all started for her. I mean, she was just like a manager at McDonald's, kind of just a, a regular sort of woman with two kids. And she said just one day. Now, I'm not sure. It wasn't really clear to me if the drug use started before this heavily. My guess is probably. But she said one day something appeared to her and she has described this as being the Archangel Michael, which I found very interesting for a number of reasons, especially having read uh, Ms. Pasolka's book as well. So I want to start just with that aspect of it. And and <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there's a question there, but take it away on your own thoughts on it. Yeah, so Amy Carlson, um, I think she was born in the 70s, but she grew up in McPherson, Kansas. Um, you know, that's it's kind of a strange place for God to be from, but that's where she was from. Um, and then her parents divorced, I think when she was probably like eight or nine. And then she ended up living in, in Texas for uh, most of her life. Um, you know, she was, she was a, Mc, a McDonald's manager. She was a really successful one. Apparently um, she was like one of the youngest McDonald's managers in like franchise history um, had turned according to their website. Um, and by there, I mean like, the 8 million websites that love has one and their little variants have uh, running right now. She turned like a, an F rating or a close to an F rating McDonald's into like an A rating McDonald's. She uh, 
she kind of had some trouble with men. She had uh, a couple of baby daddies. She had three kids. But while she was um, putting down her son for a nap, uh, she claims that the what a being that she understood to be um, Michael the Archangel showed up in her her son's room and told her it's time, and then he just kind of disappeared. And she, I mean, you you have to. The hard thing with Love Is One is it's so hard to dig through their information um, because a lot of it is incoherent um it's either incoherent because what they're saying makes no sense or it's incoherent because when they ask her these questions she's like hammered or something but according to her she like went outside and had this weird moment where she felt uh that she saw something like emanating from her third eye and she just kind of knew that she needed to leave her family behind and go on this journey according to her the angels told her that she could either you know, she wasn't. It's not like she just wanted to go out and leave her family. She, but she, she argued with the angels, and they told her you can either save three children or you can save, you know, billions of children. And so she kind of went on this bizarre journey, um, from you know, McDonald's, McDonald's manager and mother of three, living in you know Dallas, Texas. To uh, she like left and went to Philly for a while and was exploring her new age ideas. Um, and at the same time, she's like reading the internet. She's reading, you know, weird new age forums on the internet uh, called lightworks.org. She meets this guy named Amareth White Eagle, who's like this bizarre, like 70 year old, six year old man who's into new age stuff. And she like goes and I guess moves to Colorado with him. And that's kind of where she starts digging deeper and deeper into this, um, the new age, but also, you know, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that her whole entire, you know, bizarre array of life choices is because she was supposedly encountering beings, which is something that's discussed in the documentary, but it's not really highlighted in any meaningful capacity. It's just kind of another bizarre uh, component to her already strange, uh, you know, philosophy. Right. And even when, I mean, diving into this documentary, it's it's mentioned that she thinks she's communicating with, well, with all sorts of entities. It's not just Archangel Michael. It's almost, I wouldn't say it's played for comedy, but it's played more to just make her sound more and more crazy, which she she certainly is crazy one way or the other. Um, it's, it's more, yeah. I think the question is more what made her so crazy? Why is she so crazy? And why is she saying these very specific things? I mean, she said that she was encountering, I mean, she had a whole list of people, of spirits that that were coming to her and talking to her, including, I think, John Lennon, uh, Robin Williams. Somehow Trump is involved, even though he's alive. I'm not sure how that that, that part all worked. But uh, it's interesting that she she claims to have seen all these entities and spoken to all these entities, not just that they are the, you know, supposed spirits of dead celebrities and whatnot. I'm, I'm assuming it's, these are probably celebrities she grew up liking in some way, shape or form would be my guess. And maybe that's why some of them were chosen as, I mean, who didn't love Robin Williams at some point, why they were chosen as, as sort of the visages uh, to present to her. But when you read about the stuff online, you read the commentaries about the documentary, I mean, pretty much everyone just says she's schizophrenic, she's schizophrenic, and there's I, I haven't seen anyone really digging into ding, ding, ding. What about these entities? And, and everyone just writes it off as schizophrenia. But there are many people like Amy Carlson, many people considered schizophrenic, uh, many people, you know, who legitimately, I don't think anybody would argue that she, by the end of this thing, is not crazy in any in any reasonable sense of the word and probably would have been better off 
anywhere else than, than she was. Uh, but it's it's the point is this is not random. And this did start off with her supposedly yep. uh, communicating with this entity that sent her on this journey that that led to these various other steps, uh, you know, combining with these other people, meeting these other new age guys, uh, eventually going to some of these sicker places like like Mount Shasta. And it, when she talks about certain entities like this Archangel Michael, he does this this. This may be Archangel Michael, probably not the real one, um, seems to appear in similar stories. But what really struck me is, is this connecting them all to the Galactic Federation, because this is something we've heard in various stories of UFO encounters in the past, people claiming they've met uh, different entities that represent certain planets or certain star system or, or the Pallades or, or whatever it may be. And as you'll describe here a little bit, Amy Carlson's story is is not completely, uh, it's not, she's certainly not the only one to have a story like this and to be influenced in some, some very specifically similar ways. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of overlaps with the love is one cult and say something like heaven's gate. Um, you know, the, the one bizarre component to this is that only came Amy Carlson died. Whereas, you know, the entire heaven's gate crew killed themselves with the exception of one member. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to to figure out what's going on with Amy Carlson if you just watch the documentary because like like we said, it's her contact with these other beings whether they're whether they have, you know, the the stereotypical names that you hear people talk about within relation to the Galactic Federation or just other weird contact groups or contact names or whatever. Um there's also this bizarre component where she is obsessed with celebrities. Um in particular Robin Williams is kind of like her her prime ambassador is what she refers to him as, um, mm -hmm. that she is in communion with as well as an array of others like Tupac and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and all these other ones. And like you said, Trump, it's a star started lineup. I mean, yeah, some, according to them, some of these galactic A team members are in, in the physical still. That's what they call them. According to, um, Amy, Donald Trump was her father in a past life. Um, which, I, you know, if, if Trump had a kid that died early on, I don't know. I don't know anything about Trump's family background, but it doesn't really obviously make any sense. And like you said, the, the, the online groups talk about her as if she's just this crazy schizophrenic woman, you know, she's insane. She's insane. And sure, certainly she's crazy. Um, and she's definitely, she believes in very insane things, but she's not like your stereotypical, uh, schizophrenic schizophrenics. Don't draw crowds of people, uh, around them, they're usually kind of reclusive and reserved, and you know they they kind of stop talking in the middle of conversations. They have a hard time looking people in the eyes. They get distracted. Their lives are just disheveled. Her life was not disheveled, and it, her being schizophrenic doesn't explain why everyone else around her also believed her. You know what I mean? That was my big uh, thing. I was like, sure, even if she is schizophrenic, why do all these people believe what she's telling them? Um, not like only that, said, there but, is... but towards the end Go of this, ahead. as you, you described too, I mean, they, I think towards the end of her life, they seem to believe it more than she did. And because, as you mentioned, she was even asking to go to the hospital towards the end, and they were saying, "No, no, she doesn't know what she's saying." And I think there was a couple scenes where she was sort of saying, "Like, maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe I don't even know what I'm talking about. Maybe I'm making all this stuff up." And they're like, "She's not feeling well. She's, you know, she's saying she's crazy." But we know this. I mean, it's, it's like it's like they re they were more brainwashed than she was by herself. Yeah, and and in the end, that the result was that she was I I likened her death to being buried alive because even if she had actually you know, 
I mean, she she mentioned wanting to go to the hospital or thinking she needed to go to the hospital or maybe even mentioning that she thought she might have had cancer, which the autopsy uh, revealed that she did not. Um, oh, she did not. I, I members, must have missed that part. I don't think they said it in the documentary, but they did mention that she thought she had cancer. I think I looked it up online that her autopsy had no signs of cancer. It was basically just the colloidal silver and the wow. alcohol and the starvation. Um, but yeah, her, her members, her followers, her devotees, whatever you want to call them, were absolutely not going to take her to the hospital, which is insane because they admitted that on camera. They, they talked about yeah. it on live streams. They were like, no, we were never going to take her to a, uh, an earth doctor, you know, they all said the most bizarre things like her followers were like, yeah, those people wouldn't even know what to do with her. She, there's nothing that they can do for her that she couldn't do for herself. And so there's this woman who's like, you know, turning blue. She's probably weighs like 75 pounds wet. And all of her, um, her disciples are like refusing to take her to the hospital. And she's kind of stuck in the mess that she created. I don't know if you can mm -hmm. say she created it, but the mess that she kind of helped foster and, and permeate all of her followers and, you know, going back to the whole Galactic Federation, that she is very much um, believes to be in tuned to uh, the spirit realm, the, these ethereal beings. Um, some of them have names, like we said, she thinks she's in contact with the spirits of, you know, Robin Williams or Tupac, but she's also name-dropping names that, as I mentioned in my article, you know, most ufologists or even people who are familiar with channeling and mediumship should recognize um, because she's she's in communion with Ashtar or Ashtar Command, which is a very prominent, um, I guess, point of contact for ETs, the phenomenon, whatever. Uh, she's in contact with Sananda, which is, I didn't talk about this in the article and someone pointed it out and, and I felt like responding, but I didn't. I'll explain here. Sananda is, in her mind, Sananda is Christopher Reeve, but Sananda in New Age lore is the name that Jesus Christ took for himself after the resurrection. And so that doesn't really fit into her cosmology, which is why I didn't talk about it in the article, because according to Amy Carlson, she is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. So you can't have two Sanandas um, in that particular way. And then the other one is Cryon of Magnetic Service, which is what she refers to him as, which is a popular um, contactee, extraterrestrial or angelic being that uh, Lee Carroll, who's a very popular New Age writer, has written like 13 books thanks to his revelations. And so you have this woman who is supposedly in contact with all of these extraterrestrial beings or ethereal beings or galactics or angels or whatever you want to call them or whatever she wants to call them. And she uses and those terms somewhat interchangeably too. She'll say galactics, she'll yeah. say angels. I mean, it's it's a uh, you know, it's it's not always clear if we're from planets or if we're from heaven or or what. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I'm not entirely sure if she knew. They certainly don't have a coherent uh, framework for you to look at and go, okay, now I see what these things are. They don't really know. They just know what they're being told, and they're believing it. Um, and there, it's the beings, you know, whether it's Ashtar, or Robin Williams, or Count Saint Germain, or whoever. It's these beings that are telling her that she's divine. And my problem with the documentary is that um, they try to rationalize this as uh, an, an Amareth White Eagle, who's her her strange 70-year-old, I don't know if they got married or not, her first father god, um, he told, apparently he convinced her that she was divine 
and that she just took his ideas and ran with it or something. And then you have mm-hmm. um, these other stories from other people who left the group who were like, we tried to tell her that she was not God, but you know, members within the group kept affirming to her that she was God. And so she could never really get out of this group of yes men and bad actors. And it, none of it really adds up or makes sense. It doesn't explain why these people believe these things, let alone why she believes these things. But the 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 contact with beings seems to be a consistent or, uh, a consistent component to Love Is One from beginning to end. It's it's the reason she leaves to begin her what I joke I don't I jokingly refer to it as a public ministry, but it's the reason that she you know it's the reason she died the way she died. It's it's the reason the group members expected something to happen after she died, um, which didn't happen. It's it's kind of the it's it's a stereotypical UFO religion in any way you look at it, but the the documentary, especially the trailer, does not highlight this in any kind of meaningful way. Um, and that's just something that I knew from reading about you know UFO religions and just kind of absurd UFO cults. And so I was able to kind of write that down and kind of give that perspective for people who didn't know about this stuff. Yeah, they really do not play up the UFO aspect at all the documentary they which is kind of surprising considering the the recent push for things i guess but um it's it's more just you know they have the scene where after i'll, I'll just spoiler alert for anyone i'm going i'm going to talk about things that happened in this but it's still worth watching um you know after she passes away and she passed away like you said they they kind of talked about her having cancer but i guess she really didn't but she, like you said she she was basically drinking alcohol all day and colloidal silver all day and I'm not going to, like, I've been hearing about colloidal silver for a long time. I'm not going to, I have no idea if colloidal silver has actual benefits. It very may well be, but what I'm very certain of is if there is any benefit at all to colloidal silver, you're not supposed to take it in the amounts that she was taking it in. She was chugging, like, glasses of of this stuff. And whenever I've seen it sold or talked about, it's always in the form of, like, a tincture and a drop. And so even to whatever extent it may be, you know, have benefits, I am certain that she was not using it in the proper ways. I mean, there was even... um, who the other one of her last father gods, the super psycho one? Uh, she, you know, there's that one scene where he's just she's barely coherent, and he's just feeding her this colloidal silver and and saying, "Well, she's got to take her medicine." You know, doctors are going to say that she shouldn't, but they don't know, and it's it really is sad because you're you're seeing this woman just die in in real time, and like you said, she's getting frailer and frailer. I mean, she started off as really a, a very attractive young woman and deteriorated into ultimately just a a, a blue corpse that. That that was not the end of the tale because, like you said, that they expected something to happen. So after the death of came Amy Carlson, first they kind of sat around with the corpse for a few days, and then they took it into the woods because they were just kept expecting the the, the whole idea. It was almost like Heaven's Gate, but not for everybody. It was like they knew yeah. Amy had to die because because she had to leave the 3D. She had to leave her body behind so she could ascend up into the 5D or, or whatever it may be. Um, so it was Heaven's Gate where only the founder needs to die, essentially. So, um, But they took her out to the woods and are, are just waiting for this. They're basically just waiting for the spaceship to come and, and take her up or, or take them all up. Uh, like you said, that never does happen. Um, but uh, I, I want to go back to... You, you mentioned a few other similar cases because what I really, really want to hone in on here is... is like I don't know where Amy got all these names. It's possible that that she heard about some of this stuff in in reading other New Age writings and, and stuff like that. I, I can't dismiss the possibility that a lot of these names she has brought up were maybe just a crazy person who took a lot of drugs and and put a lot of this stuff together herself. It's possible. However, considering that there is a a long history of people that seem to 
have similar stories of entities telling them that they have these very same names and not just in recent history. I mean, a lot of this stuff goes way in the past. Uh, so how do you tie all this? How do you tie all this stuff together? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like you said, you don't know. She's not unfamiliar with New Age uh, philosophy and New Age writings. And so if other people are talking about Ashtar and Sananda, then, you know, she can talk about Ashtar and Sananda. And, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. You can either say, dude, how do you know she was talking to Ashtar? Ashtar's not doing that. And at the same time, you can say, okay, well, if people, if, if, if Amy Carlson was expecting Ashtar, then why not send Ashtar? And it doesn't have to be the same being as long as people are saying the same, you know, it, it's the same way with all the UFO stuff. It doesn't matter if what these people see is real. It's what they believe and how they act when they see it. So Amy Carlson believes she's in contact with Ashtar Command. Whether it's the Ashtar Command, you know, is is by and large irrelevant. But it is, it's interesting that that's the name that she chose. Um, and that she's obsessed with, you know, starships. And she's she's still, she's basically doing the exact same thing that other UFO contactee groups have done in the past. Like I said, Heaven's Gate. It's basically Heaven's Gate, but only for Amy Carlson. You know, and if you look at all these um, UFO cults, they 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 live out these weird, inverted, almost kind of demonic variations of of like Christian theology, where um, you know, like so Amy Carlson fully understood her death to be some kind of martyrdom that would save humanity. She viewed it as her cross, which is, you know, insane and bizarre. Um, and, but at the same time, and in, like her followers actually thought she was going to be resurrected. They thought that she, and she told her followers that she was going to uh, be assumed, I guess, I don't know if ascend or assume is the right word. There's, she would be, she would ascend into the 5D in her physical body. And so when she died, they took her backpacking in Oregon. They tried to go to, um, they actually had to leave uh, Mount Shasta because an RV group or a, par a bunch of group of people at the RV park were like, there's too many people get out of here. It's COVID. And so they left and went to Oregon. But they took her backpacking in Oregon, expecting her to just wake up and ascend into heaven. And, and the reason I'm talking about assumption versus ascension is ascension would be on her own, whereas assumption like with the the case of of um of of Mary, you know, Christ's mother, the Theotokos, she was assumed into heaven with the help of Christ and the angels. And so there's this big difference. But you know, she thought of herself as a Christ figure. Um and but at the same time, it has these weird overlapping characteristics of Heaven's Gate where they thought, you know, maybe Robin Williams or John Lennon and John Lennon and Ashtar Commander used interchangeably in this uh cult is going to come by with a starship and pick up Mother God. And, you know, obviously that doesn't happen either. And so there's just a strange overlap in results with what you see going on with Mother God and, you know, whether it's Heaven Gate or any other kind of UFO religion or cult. There's always this, there's always this belief that, you know, human beings are going to ascend to a higher plane of existence, escaping the material world, which is, you know, just, basically repackaged Gnosticism. Um, and the end results are always, you know, bad. And that's kind of what I try to hone in on all the time with with this project is, you know, it's not a lot of feel good, you know, sure, Amy Carlson's running out talking about love and love will win and love is conquered and she has conquered the world, you know, very much. It's, it's, it's literally um, 
it, it couldn't be any more of like a slap in the face to Christian theology to, to say that Amy Carlson has come over, uh, overcome the world. It's almost, you know, it's too bizarre, but um, that's, that's what happens. And, and this is, this is a fate that people who get mixed up in this stuff oftentimes experience. And it, you can see it all the time. I've met people in public. Um, a friend of mine, were getting beers uh, not that long ago. We were talking about church and this guy heard us and he came up and, you know, he's smirking and laughed. He's like, can I join you guys in a conversation? And he sat there and, basically pitched to us uh, Hermeticism and uh, the Kabbalah and try to explain to me that the only reason we die when we get hit by cars is because we believe we'll die. And I, you know, I asked him, I was like, have you seen a UFO? And he's like, of course. And I'm like, okay, here you go. So there's all these you weird just, instances. You just knew of, that there's, there's going to be that overlap. Yeah, there's always that overlap. Um, and not everyone does this. I'm not saying that every UFO contactee is becomes mother God or, or believes new age concepts. The the bizarre thing about the UFO phenomenon and the reason I write about it is because it helps people to realize other truths about the world. You know, for a long time, human beings have just believed that there is no spiritual realm. It's just the material world. It's, it's just Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris, material atheism. And, you know, the, the whole realization that there's something else out there is cutting in, in several directions, but it doesn't always have to be um, new age philosophies and new age religions. There, there are frameworks to understand these things. Um, if people know to look for them, which I don't think most people know. And also the Western mind has this tendency to try to uh, be an objective observer about what there is going on in the world and, and try to understand this stuff scientifically and look at all of the things going on and, and kind of make a, an informed decision. But you can't do that with this because it doesn't behave uh, rationally. It does a lot of irrational things. Um, and it can lead people to, to very dark places. It is interesting because, I mean, she she kind of, it, you call it a UFO cult, and it's, it essentially was in the sense they were waiting for a spaceship to come to come take them up. But it, for her, it didn't start with a UFO experience. It did start with this appearance of, of this entity. And, um, you know, but for many people, and it's, it's interesting because, as you mentioned, Diana Pasolka's book, I mean, in her book, there are, there are several people who encounter, have an encounter of some kind and they take it as an angel. And for some people it did seem, at least for like one person in mind, I can think of it. It did seem like that, that person became a Christian and became religious and became, and seemed to better their lives if nothing else. Um, but that still raises the same question of, of what exactly is this and, and why are people being sent down certain paths by, by whatever these encounters uh, may be. And, they're not always as extreme a case as with Amy Carlson, but as you mentioned, this Ashtar figure is she's not the first person to bring it up. Can you talk a little bit more about this Ashtar figure and where it, where it keeps popping up? As you mentioned, Don John Keeler earlier, this is something he has uh, written about a bit in his work as well. Yeah, so John John Keel definitely does uh, discuss Ashtar in his book Operation um, Trojan Horse, which he wrote in 1970. So, like I said, Ashtar is not some new phenomenon. He's not a new name. He's something that should be well-known to most, pe most people. Um, Ashtar is weird. Uh, the name Ashtar in, in the context of UFO encounters or contact, I guess you should say, is, is the 1950s. The first like known official um, story about Ashtar was he made contact with this man named George Van Tassel and at his UFO contact center um, which he set up in the 1940s, right after Roswell, uh, hoping to 
you know, I don't know if he wanted to be Dr. Stephen Greer before Dr. Stephen Greer and sit out in the desert and contact the spirits. Um, but that's how he made contact with Ashtar. Uh, it should be worth mentioning that he his UFO center that he made contact with is uh, not far away from where L. Ron Hubbard and Alistair Crawley and Jack Parsons used to do satanic rituals in the desert to try to contact spirits as well. Maybe like an hour to two hour uh, distance between the two uh, locations. Which raises that same question about certain locations having some sort of, you know, deeper connection to the the spirit world or or something like that. Right. But so Ashtar has been, as I say, and as John Keel has been saying, um, and as even Richard Dolan has talked about this in his books, um, also for people who don't know anything about UFOs, if you just kind of need like a general background on things, um, Richard Dolan has a good book called uh, UFOs for the 21st Century Mind. I think it's what it's called. Um, it's a pretty good overview of what people have said and believe about the UFO uh, phenomenon. And Richard Dolan is very good as far as not buying a bunch of crazy stories and pitching them to you. He kind of takes a very like, I don't know what's true. I don't know what's true. I'm just going to tell you what's happening. Very much a historian. Um, but so he talks about Ashtar in his book as well. And he mentions that it doesn't matter how many times people are duped by this thing, they still believe whatever the next Ashtar prophecy is. Um, But so apparently, according to George Van Tassel, through his connection to the universal mind, which is very new agey in in the way it sounds, and with the help of um, beings like Ashtar, he was able to make contact with someone like, uh, I think he was in contact with Nikola Tesla, which, you know, is sort of like Amy Carlson in the sense that Amy Carlson thought she was in contact with the dead souls of Robin Williams and Count St. Germain and all these other people. Um, and the, But the difference between George Van Tassel and Amy Carlson is that George Van Tassel built this strange, um, I don't even know what to call it, it's this very bizarre... Um, Tesla-esque energy building. I don't really have no idea how to describe it, and I'm not science-minded at all. So, But he built this thing out in the desert, and people still apparently don't know how it works. Um, apparently, the acoustics are really good, and there's a lot of very famous uh, musicians who have done concerts in his little weird um, contraption that he's made out there. But there is this weird phenomenon of people in contact with what they call non-human intelligence, whether they believe they're ET or angels or interdimensional beings. And sometimes they tell you to drink colloidal silver and that you're, you know, the, the mother of all creation. And sometimes they give you scientific knowledge. And, and, you know, we talked about Diana Pasolka's work multiple times tonight. Her book highlights how, you know, several, uh, very, I don't know if you can call them famous because they're not known to us. There are several, very successful scientists over the years who have believed to have been in contact with non-human intelligences and had great scientific success. Um, and that's why a lot of these people kind of view this phenomenon as something benevolent. And, you know, they assume they're working with the angels because why would, why would demons or why would these, you know, malevolent beings give you uh, breakthroughs with energy, clean energy or breakthroughs with, uh, biomedical research or whatever it is that that these beings are supposedly supplying their their points of contact um and and like i said you know it doesn't it's not obvious what's going on but 
you know, Jack Parsons was is supposedly in contact with uh, non-human intelligence, and he basically helped build the American rocket program. No one views the American rocket program, um, it, as far as I know, as some kind of evil thing. They might view it as, you know, bad. I wouldn't say no one. Or, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, some people think that the that, that NASA is a shady organization and that, that we haven't actually gone to space. Fair points. Um, but that doesn't mean that, like, the rocket program itself, like, that's like the pinnacle of American achievement, you know. For right. No one Cold thinks War the concept America. of a rocket is necessarily hard. Right. 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 That's what I'm trying to get across. Yeah. Uh, no one views that. But, but the reality was, is Jack Parsons was, you know, in the desert with his wife trying to conceive children while L. Ron Hubbard was conducting, you know, sex magic ceremonies and trying to, he viewed himself as the Antichrist, which, um, this is my only complaint about Diana's book is that she acknowledges, uh, Jack Parsons, who did not necessarily discuss what specifically he believed about non-human intelligence and his role with it and, and his contact with it, because he was very much uh, a Satanist who believed that he, he actually believed that he was the Antichrist. Um, and those are the people that get mixed up with these things. It's it's not always Amy Carlson, as as we've discussed. It's, it's sometimes it's Jack Parsons, sometimes it's Bernard Braun, sometimes it's... Um, Sometimes it's Stephen Greer. You know, some people think Stephen Greer is just lying and he's not contacting anything and he's just making things up about the desert. Um, but I'm not I'm not of the opinion that Stephen Greer is lying about contacting spirits in the desert. I just don't have the same optimistic opinion about what he's contacting. I think that that's always been, at least as a kid growing up, that was always the hardest thing for me to reconcile when I'd hear about all these UFO cases, and I think when I would talk about this with my parents or stuff, they, they would always say things like, well, you know, people fake things all the time. People make things up all the time. And that was just, that just never sat right with me, especially as I read more and more UFO cases. I used to always have these little things. I'd be like, well, that was so similar to what that other guy said and what this other guy said. And yeah, I guess nowadays it's easy for us, you know, in this age of the internet, it's easiest for, for us to just say like, oh, he probably heard it here, heard it there, heard it there. But I don't know, man, a lot of these people were, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, like they weren't, this information wasn't everywhere. Like you wouldn't just come up with the same exact story about the same exact creatures doing some of the s very similar things and saying some very similar things, especially when we're now talking about different parts of the world as well and across time as well. Yeah, and you know, for years you hear people say this, especially within like the context of like the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. They're like, okay, well, did they know about gray aliens beforehand? Were they were they primed to to have this you know, this image concocted in their mind when they when they underwent um, hypnosis, you know, did they watch UFO TV shows or movies beforehand? Uh, and people ask me all the time, like, you know, what have people seen beforehand that, uh, that made them believe this was real? Um, and in the case of Betty and Barney Hill, I think they found out, I think Diane actually wrote about this, there was a show that came on, like, the night or two nights before they were abducted uh -huh. and it had these weird little gray aliens with the almond eyes, but they weren't really watching it. I think it was just like on in their home and they, it was just kind of one of those weird things where like, sure, they might not have been picking up on it, but the subconscious was. And so, but that doesn't mean that something didn't happen to them. Um, and that's kind of the real bizarre thing is this, this whole phenomenon is something that's, it's like trying to, to hit a moving target. Um, it's not obvious what's going on and, and whether or not people can be trusted, and most people can't be, but you know, it's it's, it's hard to to kind of pinpoint what is authentic and what isn't authentic, and that's why you have to do all of the reading. You can't just kind of like believe everything everyone tells you, and you have to kind of vet things for yourself because 
there's just so much. And, you know, when people ask me all the time, like, how do you know the UFO phenomenon is real? And I'm like, I'm like, go read the cases. The, there's so many cases that after you read them for a while, it's boring. Like, it's honestly boring. Yeah. You're like, oh, I know um, what's going to come next. Yep. And then the, yeah. and it's just, I mean, it's the same bizarre story after another. And it's the same kind of general, it's almost like there's a, there's a format that they kind of all follow. Sure. There's little bizarre components like, okay, this extraterrestrial offered this, you know, man, uh, pancakes in this particular encounter story. And in this one, you know, there were tall blonde figures as opposed to little gray men or whatever. There's all this these time. It's an electric raccoon, <laughs> you know, but it's yeah, always, there, there's all always something different and unique, but there's a, there's a thread that goes amongst all of them and that they're all basically the same kind of encounters. And the reality is, is most of the people that tell these stories, they like refuse to have their names revealed. They, they don't feel comfortable having people know about it. The people who have talked about it, have their lives ruined. Um, it's just not something that you can, like the Mothman sure, it's, case in particular. It's not like anyone gets rich and famous for discussing an encounter they had. That is not really a thing. No, I mean, that might be changing now. Um, I think about Chris Bledsoe's, I don't, I have not, I'm not accusing Chris Bledsoe of getting rich on his story. I have no idea if he's making any money or what he's doing. I mean, for all you know, he's taking the money he makes from his book sales and putting it back into UFO research or something. Um, but there's, there's definitely, the days of of being Travis Walton and having your life upended for telling your story or right. or or something like that or being fired from your job because you're, you're all of your you know that's that's why you can't do the whole oh there's schizophrenic there's schizophrenic I'm like maybe Amy Carlson was schizophrenic maybe she wasn't but there's plenty of people who see these things and don't act like she did but still believe and think these things and you wouldn't consider them schizophrenic you probably go to work with some of them um, or maybe uh, maybe she is schizophrenic, and and we need to redefine what causes schizophrenia. Maybe. Well, according to John Keel, go too far down that road, but uh, yeah, according to John Keel, uh, encounters with UFOs can make you schizophrenic. Um, well, I, be- yeah, I believe I, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I believe the first person to actually um, dr- like say that they saw a saucer was a- was actually a schizophrenic. The first person that came up with it and, and said I actually saw described it in the in the terms of the modern day UFO. I don't have that information on me, but I, I have seen that. No, not Kenneth Arnold. There was somebody before that. Um, I, I wish I had this in front of me. I'll try to maybe get it off air. But um, huh. they, they, it was. I, th- I feel like it was late 1800s or early 1900s where it was someone that that said they saw this thing and drew it, and that person was a schizophrenic. That's, Interestingly enough, huh, I'll try to bizarre. I'll try to track that down in the mean, in the meantime. Yeah. But going going on what you just said, and I, I always want to point this out for people when when talking about the phenomenon. Um, like, sure, some of it's flying saucers, some of it's you know. Now you're talking about jellyfish. Uh, which you know we might talk about that in the smoke-filled room. Um, sometimes it's uh, triangles, sometimes it's pyramids, sometimes it's orbs, whatever. Um, the UFO phenomenon, as we understand it, is constantly kind of, in my opinion, it like paves the way for science. Uh, if you look at UFO encounters for the last 125 years, they always show up in some kind of technological capacity before the real technology exists. So you have in the 1890s before the Wright brothers are flying, you have the appearance of, um, of, of these basically like air airplanes. They're, you know, strange, b- bizarre airplanes. People are like, how do these things run on kerosene? This is bizarre. They, they have lamps and all kinds of expected technology on them. And then, you know, the airplane comes out and then you have, um, 
and then you ha- then you have like helicopters appear. They have uh, they call them phantom helicopters start appearing before helicopters are invented. You have phantom rockets appear before you have rockets appear. There's all of these weird. Um, it's almost like they're paving the way for what's to come, and they always appear in the way that you don't expect them to, but that, that just kind of predates uh, what's what's to come. And you can see that specifically with like um, with like airplanes and, and the Wright brothers. And I, I, even in the in the past, I think there's there's really bizarre medieval UFO encounters of people uh, seeing ships, and I mean like 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 boats in the sky, like yeah, like yeah. UFO sightings where like they drop anchor. There's apparently like a church in in Germany or something that like had had the anchor from this supposed, um, you know, ship in the sky that dropped anchor and it like landed in the church steeple and they like kept it. Um, there's all these really bizarre stories that don't necessarily seem to, um, they never make sense. You know, that's the whole point, um, because it's meant to confuse you. Um, but they're, they go back really far and then there's, there's, there's a technological component. It's, it certainly seems to be dangling, um, a carrot for people to be interested in this stuff. And that's what you see a lot of the motivation for trying to figure out what these things are is people want to know what the technology is and they're like foaming at the mouth to have it. And and it's, you know, there's, there's the carrot and then there's also the stick and the stick is what, what makes you drink colloidal silver and, um, your followers wrap you, uh, we should probably talk about how Amy Carlson died. So Amy Carlson died, um, due to alcohol, uh, consumption, the the chronic ingestion is the way the autopsy worded it of colloidal mm-hmm. silver and starvation and so when her followers took her body to the woods and it didn't she didn't um she didn't resurrect or ascend into heaven and robin williams didn't come pick her up in the spaceship they took her back to crestone colorado and they mummified her body in an rei sleeping bag they put her in the back room of their house and they wrapped her in christmas lights and put glitter on her face uh, and that's how uh, law enforcement officers found her. And the is, amazing part of this is no one, people were brought in for some questioning, but no one got arrested for this. Strangely, all of the charges were dropped. And there's an yeah. array of charges. Some of them have to do with like child endangerment and child abuse. Yeah, uh, some, of these, some people Carlson. brought kids to this thing. I, I didn't even mention yeah. that earlier, but I mean, some people were, I mean, look, this, and one thing I, I do want to mention too, like I, I said, like, this seemed very different to me than a normal cult. I'm not going to say it wasn't a cult, but it, it a lot of cults, the, the leader is, they're trying to get their followers to do something for them. And then there were certainly people in this, you know, that were all, you know, like the one guy cashed out all his 401k and, and gave it to the, the community or what, I, what yeah. have you. So certainly there was benefit, but it really seemed to me that unlike a lot of cult leaders, like if you think about like Keith Raniere of Nixium, like to me, he's, very clearly a manipulator and was trying to manipulate people. And with, you know, that, that's very obvious, Using I think. Neurolinguistics right, exactly. and, and, and methods like that. But there's to high, exactly. There, there's a high level, there's high level thought behind it. Whereas I don't think Amy had any kind of level of sophistication like that. In fact, I don't even feel like she was necessarily trying to get people to follow her as much as people just followed her. I, that's the kind yeah. of the sense I got. Of course, it's a documentary, so I'm seeing what I'm seeing, but I'm just curious to, to expand on your thoughts about that that you mentioned earlier um, and continue your thoughts about her death, though. Why so many people, that kind of ties into why they followed her even beyond her death. How, why did people become so... It seems like these people wanted to follow her more than she wanted to follow her. Yeah, and, and like you said, they're still following her. So when she died, uh, part of the groups kind of fractured. They had their own little, their little weird schism. And two of the guys, uh, two of the father gods who were her love interests, 
you know, started this group called Love Reigns. I don't think they're doing anything. I, I have a website, but I haven't seen anything from them. Um, and the other group is called 5D Full Disclosure. And they have a website, and I mean, they have a ton of information on it, like PDFs. That are, some of them are 100 pages long. Uh, all of it's new age lingo, mumbo jumbo. They've got a glossary so that you can follow along and keep up with what they're trying to say. Um, several of the members are now writing children's books. There is actually like a 500 page book, a uh, 500 page book written by one of the followers about, I don't know, I, I thought about buying it and I'm like, I'm not giving these people money. Um, and I knew I wouldn't understand it anyway. So it was just a, not worth trying to get into. Um, but it's, 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 it's hard to figure out why these people believed her, um, let alone why she believed herself. But and the documentary talks about it. There are people there who are like, you know, they felt spiritually dead inside. Uh, one of the girl's mm -hmm. boyfriend broke up with her and she lost her job. There's all these kind of rational explanations for why people would go looking for something, but it doesn't explain why Amy Carlson's, you know, there's plenty of religions. There's plenty of, they could have all gotten into yoga and started doing, you know, Buddhism or something more coherent. Right. And right. in ancient and said they went for this crazy theory about how this woman was a, nine billion year old reincarnate being who, you know, was going to free humanity and bring them into the fifth dimension. And like you said, it's, it's the most incoherent theology ever, which is so bizarre compared, you know, if you look at L. Ron Hubbard and you look at Scientology, whatever you may think about them, you know, at least the guy was a fiction writer. He knew how to tell a story, even if you thought they were good or not, there's, there's he kind put of the a, work in, a, you know, you got to give him that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a structure to what he wrote, at least. I mean, sure, you have to get all the way up the bridge to learn about Xenu, but you, you, there's still a Xenu to be to be had, and you can still read this. This there's books, I'm sure, and everyone's reading his books and watching movies and stuff. But there's a coherence, at least some kind of coherence to it. Um, you might not agree with their practices, but you can still say that he has like an actual um, creation story and a theology and a and a cosmology of what his religion is. And you can't you can't do that with with Amy Carlson at all. It's just a mix mash of um, new age buzzwords, Eastern uh, mystic religions, and even some Abrahamic stuff. Which you know, like you have Archangel Michael. Why Archangel Michael, who is you know God's um, angel that he sends to protect Israel? Why that guy is going around telling you to chug colloidal silver and go on this public ministry doesn't really make sense to me. But she believed it. And her followers. There's certainly some odd casting do. choices. I'll say yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Michael, there there are a couple more aspects I want to dive into you uh, on this with, but I think we're gonna we're gonna do that over in the smoke filled room. So we're gonna wrap this one here, the live stream here on YouTube. So before I let you go, want to make sure everybody knows where to find your stuff. You're pretty pretty new with this this project. I think it's only what a few weeks or maybe a month or two old. So you're still you're really in the the mega growth stage. So I want to encourage everybody to hit you up on X, follow you on Substack, and you know keep following anything else you're doing. But feel free to give people the full uh, the full roundabout. Yeah, so um, like I said, it's pretty new. I think we're like on day like twenty one or twenty two of when my first article came out. No, we're not. We we're my first article came out on January first, so it's only been. Oh yeah, you there know, you go. You're it's a baby. pretty pretty new days. Um, so follow me on X. Uh, my at is unmask the phenom. It's probably best put in the show notes um, instead of trying to explain that to people. Also, uh, same thing for Substack. You can follow me on there. I might do a podcast. I'm still trying to decide. I've already talked to some people 
who have agreed to come on the podcast um, and talk to me. Um, we'll see if I end up doing it. But um, you know, people like Father Turbo, actually, no, Father Turbo is not confirmed. He is currently uh, dealing with some uh, ailments. He like fell uh, on some ice and is yeah, having yeah. knee surgery. Um, but I've talked to him. I've talked to, to David Granoski, um, which I recorded an episode with him. It was probably less coherent than this. Um, and I've talked to Diana Pasolko and a few other people that, that would be interested in coming on. So there might be a podcast, there might not. I don't know. I prefer to write to talk, but this was good. So um, anyone who's interested, you can go follow me over there. I, I'm working on another article already. Um, I won't tell you what it's about. So you'll just have to wait and see. All right. Well, wait and see. I will. And you know, so this is this is the call to all the Mark Claire show uh, listeners and whatnot. If you enjoyed this conversation, you got to go bar bombard uh, Michael here and just and make him do this podcast. So that, that, that's what I encourage y'all to do. Uh, Michael, thank you for joining me, and I will see you in the smoke filled room. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And remember, if you're listening here on the public feed, that means you're only getting about two-thirds of the conversation because every one of these interviews goes approximately 30 minutes longer in what is called the Smoke-Filled Room bonus segment. To get the complete version of every episode, just become a subscriber to The Mark Claire Show. You can do so on Patreon, on Subscribestar, on Rockfin. You can find all the links you need over at markclaire.com. That's markclaire, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. Until next time, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.